Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Greetings, everybody, from the beautiful country of Japan. I'm Ray Harkins. You're hanging out with 100 Words or Less, the podcast, talking to people involved in independent music, doing this whole thing that we love so much, being involved, playing music, putting out music, taking pictures of music, documenting music all of those things. And we are focused this month on a particular scene and city, Seattle, Washington. It's a beautiful place. If you've never been, I highly recommend it. But uh, this this whole theme month has been going so, so well. I've been getting great feedback on, on the uh, first two episodes that we've done. And uh, if you missed that, go dive back. They're just great conversations. And, you know, dive back, listen to all the episodes, okay? I like I like I think I mentioned this in an episode recently where I, I look at the the podcast stats and while I always get really really stoked that a lot of you download and listen to the newest episode that comes out just the fact that I'm like wow dude over the past month like you know 40,000 people have listened to you know the, some of the back catalog and older shows and it just it warms my soul so I really appreciate that but anyways today's guests guests there are guests I'm using two guests because uh, they're both uh, incredibly important. The main one, the bulk of the interview is with Cody Willis from Big Business. He also played in Murder City Devils. And, you know, if you're like, dude, Ray, two Murder City Devils within the context of this Seattle month, like, can't you come up with some original ideas? Uh, Yeah, I can. Okay. (laughs) But... (laughs) Cody, it just, it happened to sync up and uh, I, I, it was like within the same week that both interviewing both him and Dan kind of came up and I was like, oh wow, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. So Cody was a great chat and the other auxiliary chat, but equally important is a friend of mine, Amen Sala from, which I'm totally butchering his last name. I've never said it out loud, so I apologize, Amen. But he plays in a band called Holy Pinto, which you have heard me pimp out on this show before. Uh, I just think they're an incredible band, and he has a really, really interesting story. Basically moved from the UK to Milwaukee, does a ton of DIY touring, and uh, is just a really interesting dude. So we had a, a very fun chat, and I'll play that at the top of the episode. So what what else do I have to tell you about? Well, I have to tell you about Rockabilly.com. Not, not only do I have to, but I'm excited to tell you because they have the best merch store around, in my opinion. You can get 10% off by using the code PCJabberJaw, and uh, it's it, it's a great place because they have so many items, half a million items, all high quality, fully endorsed as far as like, you know, license. That's what, that's the word I was searching for. Fully licensed from that perspective. So the bands see royalties on this, you know, it's not some horrible, horrible bootleg scenario. And uh, yeah, they're just a great company and I love supporting them. So PC Jabberjaw is the code for 10% off. Go order all your band merch there, please. And also while you're at it, 
go ahead and, you know, leave a review, subscribe to the show, show, show the love from that perspective. And also tell your friends, cause that's the best way that this thing can kind of spread around. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I, I see, I see the growth and I get excited and I just want to, you know, fr- toss a friendly reminder, your direction, the more that you're able to do that, the more that I am able to do this. And it makes me really happy. So I'm currently in Japan and, uh, I'm exhausted <laughs> playing some shows here. Uh, it's been, it's surreal. I mean, that's, that's the best way I can use the best word I can use to describe it. Um, it's just, uh, I feel incredibly lucky to be able to do this on such a, um, you know, part-time level where it's like, yeah, you know, taken only plays a couple shows a year. Um, and we are able to still engage with people and still that, that still find our music, you know, relevant and the message relevant. And I just, um, I don't know. I never thought I'd be, you know, playing in a hardcore band in my late thirties. Like it's just, uh, it's a, it's a cool thing. So thank you very much to everybody who, uh, you know, has checked this, these shows out so far. And if you live in Japan, like there's still a couple of shows left. So, uh, come on out and you can find the dates easily on the interwebs. But anyways, uh, Cody Willis, he is such a beast of a drummer. Like I remember watching him in murder city and I've seen big business. I think I've only seen them once, but he's just a dude that he knows what he's doing behind the drum kit. And, uh, I just love, I I usually I'm attracted. Like when I, I, I see bands play live, I'm attracted to watching the drummer more than anything else. Um, just because I find, them, you know, they're, they're the backbone of kind of keeping things together and making sure the songs don't fall apart. Cause obviously it's like if a guitar stops playing, like, yeah, this song, you know, it doesn't sound good or whatever, but, uh, you know, if the drummer stops playing, like, you know, all the wheels are off, but anyways, Cody, uh, is, is, was a great chat and, um, yeah, we're going to continue this, this month of Seattle. Uh, I will announce the next guest at the very end of the episode. So yeah, here we go. All right. I will uh, talk to you at the end of the show. Because I You are a extremely interesting person to me because, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I love the hustle. Like I love people that like, you know, reach out directly to like, you know, labels or management or whatever. And it's just like, you know, you're just trying to like make things happen, not only for like yourself and the music and stuff like that. And I think that's why I always, not only is the music that you create, I enjoy, like I actually like, but I just always admired the hustle that you had to be like, yo, I'm from the UK and like, you know, we're doing these like total, you know, DIY playing in front of 20 people tours in the States and just like making it happen. Um, has that always kind of been like who you are as a person where it's just like, Oh yeah, man, I'll, I'll figure out a way to make this work. Maybe, maybe I'm not a hundred percent sure, but maybe I kind of, I think whether I've had a lot of conversations with this uh, about this with people recently. I think whether, whether there's a will, there's a way, like if you really want to do something, you can make it work there's always a way and I think I just really wanted to do music and wanted to tour enough and as soon as I started doing it I was like I want to be here oh I want to be playing with these bands or I want to be on this label or I want to do this and I kind of whenever I have that enthusiasm that really sticks and it gets forefront of your head you just kind of do if you feel like you have to do it you do it and so maybe but also I have I have a lot of laziness and apathy in me, Ray. Like, trust me, there's lots of things I don't, I don't act on and I'm not the most productive person in life. But yeah, when you get that kind of thing of like, 
wanted to come here to tour. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the moment. Um, wanted to come here to tour when we put out our first record. And um, a big part of it was we just knew we wanted to do it, but didn't know how. But we just set that laser focus. And we had a guy called John, John Bose, who runs Cold Cuts Merch, who put out our first release in the States and was like, I'll put it out, but you got to come here. We're like, we want to come here. Are you kidding me? Oh, no, we don't want to come. You know what I mean? It's like, you got a tour. It's like, okay, you're going to help us book a tour. He was like, I'll help you book a tour like really like yes he will help but also like mm, is this guy really gonna book us a tour yeah and then it just kept getting closer and i started to i was like he's gonna help us but he's not really gonna book this tour for us and then he was like just do it yourself amen god's sake you know just do it yourself and i was like what do you mean we've never been there and then i just figured out that we could do it ourselves just by having to you know mm-hmm. you're in the deep end we got a flight we got to get these dates you know yeah and um that was his mentality that served him well through touring and his merch company's obviously doing really well and i think that kind of rubbed off so it's kind of the synergy of wanting to do that and that kind of mentality that he kind of put in me day one doing music to be honest yeah no that's really cool because it does and i think a lot of that also stems from when you are you know from a place like i mean clearly the uk in general is you know a hub for music like there's always stuff that's happening there you know granted you guys are always a couple years behind the states but you know that's okay no i'm just kidding (laughs) you're kind of right (laughs) it's funny that you just threw that in but yeah true well there well it's funny because from what i've noticed where it's just like it 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 seems like certain things um you know musically speaking that you guys are like you know ahead of whether it's just like i mean I'm, i'm thinking back to like you know early 2000s where it's just like you know bands like bullet for my valentine and funeral for a friend and stuff like that where it's like yeah stuff like that was kind of happening over here in the states but like not in the same way i mean bring me the horizon could be another example where it's like those bands like you know were so massive in the uk and like you know kind of started to pop off over here but like not in the same way that it was like for the uk or whatever yeah i think um I think it trickles down a lot from the US. Um, yeah, it's definitely something I've noticed on a grassroots scale where if I did a US tour, let's say I did a US tour a year or two ago and I played with X band in a basement in Albany, New York, um, I guarantee you like a year later I'd be at a show in Brighton in England and someone would go, oh, I love this band. It's all I'm listening to. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, they're my friends. I played with them a year ago in a basement, you know? And it's like, it takes that latency period of a year or two. And then if I've been touring here, when I go back home, it's like the band that I thought were amazing in the basement and were starting to blow up in America, then it reaches England. I I feel like it does trickle down like that. And by that time, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're my friends. I know them. Yeah, yeah, cool. And it's like really weird. It does happen a lot. You do see that. You always know, like... I don't know, like Prince Daddy and the Hyena band doing a lot of stuff right now. Yeah. Give them one year, they'll be huge in the UK. You know, it's just it just takes that little latency, a bit of time. Yeah. It's de- I definitely feel that, definitely. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting too. And then, like I said, because, you know, kind of going arriving back to my original point that I made about the UK, or I was trying to make about the UK, where it's like, they're, you know, the... It's not like there is, you know, a ton of places to play from a DIY perspective. It's like, yeah, you can play, you know, like I, I think the longest tour that I ever heard of in the UK was with, uh, like I played some shows with that band, Johnny Truant. And oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. But, you know, throwing it way back. Lost there. from the past. Totally. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, when, when we were, when I started to become friends with them, they told me that they did like a, you know, like a 26 date UK tour, which is like, you know, they were like literally scraping the bottom of the barrel as far as like, you know, they were playing for like, you know, 30 people in, you know, the super, super South part of the Island or whatever. 
but it's like, you know, clearly here in the States, like, you know, there's so many DIY opportunities that can exist here. So like the, the notion of you wanting to get over here to be like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, I, we just, we just want to have more places to play rather than just kind of, you know, the, the fact you're limited geographically speaking, you know? Absolutely. It's, it's something that I get asked a lot and I think about all the time. You are so limited. If you're in the US, especially as DIY, so you can play anywhere. You know, I've been, Ray, I'm sure you have as well. I'm sure we've done some far off shows to very, very few people in random towns. <laughs> yeah, totally. It goes without saying. Um, but like, yeah, so you could do that here and stay sustainable. Like, I think quite a lot about a time I ended up in Boaz in Alabama, which is a town no one's really heard of. But, I had a really fun time. It was a Sunday. It was a solo show and there were four people there. And everyone there was really nice. There was almost no one. But we just, we hung out and played some songs. People were nice. Uh, people bought some merch. And I ended up with enough, enough gas money to more than comfortably get me to the next place. And I had a really fun time. And that's the kind of thing that you can sustain and do here. But you can't in England because one of the main reasons is basements don't exist in England so there aren't many house shows right. so if a, promote, if a promoter want to put on a show they have to have overheads sound guy venues are expensive 18 plus whatever it might be while here it's just like oh, I'll get you something together in my dad's garage right. that, you know he sometimes works out of and uh, that kind of and the location yeah the physical size of it all it is easier to just keep going here I saw um, an Australian artist called Alex Cameron live earlier in the week and he said on stage, um, he said on stage, he's like, thanks to you guys in America for giving me, giving us work. <laughs> it was the expression, the crude expression he used. He was like, in Australia, I can't work. Here I can work. Because it's like, he, he's alluding to the fact there's only like five music markets in Australia, you know? They, like, they open for the killers there, you know? <laughs> but then it's like, what am I going to do for the next year when I'm tied up in some contract of not being able to play? Or, like, you can't do that every week. So they come, and they've just been touring here. And uh, it was just, he alluded to it literally on stage earlier this week. I thought that was really interesting. He was like, America's big. You guys give us work. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah. No, that's that's very true. That's very true. And I love the, you know, like, whatever, the, the, the short history of, you know, Holy Pinto, the fact, like, you know, we were talking about you started the UK. And then I love the idea idea of you uh you know like you know once your 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 fellow bandmate departed because you basically you toured as a three or a two piece over here correct yes we did the first time and then the second time we took on a basis we started as a two piece and then we started getting like friends and people we knew to come play bass live as a three piece but yeah it was basically a two piece me and my friend ryan sure sure and then uh the you know when ryan departed was that like over over a year or so ago how long ago was that yeah, I think about a year and a half. Yeah. yeah. And so, and then the, the idea that you, you know, like you, you don't have to be tied to where you live. Like just this idea of you picking up stakes and being like, yeah, I think I'm going to land in Milwaukee because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed playing shows there. Like, you know, I got some friends there and then, you know, picking it up and being able to release more music and, you know, obviously be in a completely different um, you know, geographical location. Um, I just find that so interesting because I mean, when you have more people in the band, like that's next to impossible to do, but because it's just you, you're like, Oh yeah, yeah, I can do this. This is no problem. Yeah. It, uh, it works out pretty well in that, in that respect. It was one of the, it's one of the pluses of it just being me now. And I, I there's more negatives than pluses, I think, because I did really like doing it with Ryan and having right, right. someone to work with and bounce my ideas <laughs> totally, off. Totally. But there is one of the positives of, that was actually probably the one silver lining that immediately struck me was when he left. It was like, 
I don't have to adhere to anyone now. I can just be wherever I want to be, you know? And it, that is quite liberating. It's also terrifying. But uh, it allowed me to kind of be here and just on a whim. I didn't plan on living in Milwaukee. It just kind of happened. And uh, that's cool. I do like that. And uh, I also get a lot of people ask me, you've moved to the States, why Milwaukee? And I don't know why. It just is. It just is pleasant to me. I like it. But um, I will say people are like, you're trying to like be a musician and do all this stuff. Why didn't you go to like L.A. or New York or something? And there's the obvious reasons, like the cost and all the stuff. But it's like, if you're serious about music, you should be there. But it's like, I'm in Milwaukee right now. And it's, it's a small city, but there's quite a few people here. You know, they have really cool FM radio stations, newspapers. They have like cool several scenes of music with really good musicians and um i'm from canterbury we have nothing right you know this is like a massive upgrade in terms of like you know totally um, you're like dude <laughs> I, I understand and especially too like i, I that the notion of being at one of those like you know cultural entertainment hubs whether it's you know new york or la like you mentioned it's just one of those things and you know you kind of talking about this previously and i've had this discussion on on the show many times where it's like once you're of you know a certain level where you know you're touring and you know maybe you're playing in front of you know a few people here and there and like people you know before you play like know who you are or whatever it honestly it's the shows that you play outside of those major metropolitan areas that usually end up being the coolest because you know kids are bored they just need a thing to do on saturday night and they're like oh yeah i'll go to this show like well, you know I, who's playing it doesn't matter i'm just going to the show and then Usually it's that sort of youthful exuberance that kind of, you know, plays itself out that evening. And then all of a sudden, Holy Pinto is like their favorite band ever. And, you know, but no one would ever have predicted that. So I I like the move of Milwaukee because it is like there is a scene. There's culture there. It's not like you're, you're hey, you know what? I'm going to be in Fargo, North Dakota. Like, enjoy that. Like, (laughs) it's not. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And it brings me back to the Boaz thing where it's like. I remember when I played bars on a Sunday, it was like two weeks before um, this band called Safe Face from New Jersey. They're on Epitaph Records now. They weren't when I played that show, but they played. And, and they were like, oh, Safe Face are amazing. They had like 80 people here last week. And I was like, well, it doesn't make me feel that much better, but it's great. Like, it's great. So it's, it's like Safe Face have a huge following in Boaz. I was like, really? You're like, what does that and mean? Then, uh, yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was great. It was great to hear. And then I actually did a few dates with the singer from that band, a couple months later and um, I was like, oh yeah, so like I heard you guys do well in Boaz. He was like, yeah, yeah, we do really well in Boaz. And I was like, that's one of those things that could only happen in this world, but it does help, you know, like I'm sure cracking New York back in the day for them would have been harder than cracking Boaz. But you go to Boaz, you show up, and then, you know, they'll probably be Birmingham, Alabama at some point, and people will track out because they love them, and it's a great thing. Totally, totally. I, I just love, and frankly, those, to me, are kind of the most memorable shows when you are playing, because, you know, going into it, like, you've got like zero expectations whatsoever where it's just like cool i'm playing albuquerque new mexico like i guess people are going to show up and then you know if 40 people are there and then 30 of them buy a shirt you're like that's probably the best show i've ever played you know you're just like oh my god (laughs) this is unbelievable (laughs) it's the best the most the more random the better the more random the better i like uh i would say that first u.s tour we ever did just as a duo me and ryan that we played some of the weirdest spots honestly that was like especially ryan had this way about booking the weirdest ones like it was like pure desperation and we'd find something like i remember we played a wakeboard a human made wakeboarding compound in valdosta georgia 
it was like one of the very few in the US with like an automated cable system or something. Anyway, and they had like a skate park there and stuff, and we were booked to play there. It was bizarre. And then I saw like the other day that like Luke Bryan, the country singer, did a farm tour on that exact site like a year before. Dude, and I was like, so good. I played the same venue as Luke Bryan, yes! <laughs> you know, and um, it was just crazy. Yeah, totally, totally right. Yeah. You must have been. I'd love to know where's a weird place that you've been on tour? that you uh, did back in the day yeah i remember uh this just randomly comes to mind but i remember playing uh it's like lockport uh new york which was like i don't know maybe 30 minutes outside of buffalo but it was you know we just played a skate park which you know every band has played a skate park and some you know you play right in the middle of the uh you know the the ramps or whatever um but i just i remember the shows there being unbelievable i mean the sound is horrible like the only way that yeah. you can like actually hear a band is if you're like literally standing two feet in front of them you know um <laughs> because the sound it was just a huge warehouse and so it's not like there's any <laughs> any intimacy but yeah i mean just like record stores like some of the it, you know whatever i you like yes i was lucky enough to play like cbgb's once at like a horrible metal festival and we just did not you know we did not belong there at all but and I remember the show and it was cool, but you know, the shows that are just like, Oh dude, of course I remember playing the record store in Las Vegas. And like, yeah, that was great. There's a hundred people there. People are losing their minds. And yeah, it's those, it, those off the beaten path ones where it's like either it's a random city or like you mentioned a random, you know, <laughs> I, I use the term venue loosely where it's like, you're, <laughs> yeah, the loose, in the loosest term. Totally. Loosest, like there, there's yeah. a, there's a PA, I guess, I guess we'll call it a venue. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah i love that stuff actually it's making you miss being out on the road that's awesome yeah i know it's 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 super fun and so i i think the uh you know the interesting thing about you like you were talking about the kind of the fact that you don't have uh you know someone else to bounce ideas off of and like it's liberating and scary and like that that whole idea of you know creating art for you know, like literally yourself, which of course you've done that for a long time with the help of other people. Um, but like, I, I'm going to guess that you feel like way more exposed with this newest release than you have with any other stuff in the past. Wow. Um, maybe, maybe. Okay. I, I've you, always you, felt quite like, exposed with okay. it. <laughs> I was like, I was like, either the, either I hit on a nerve that you haven't thought about, or this is, you've always felt this way. Um, I've kind of always felt that way, you know, okay. uh, to be honest. Yeah. I've always felt quite exposed, I guess. Yeah. So <laughs> the same as always, to be honest, uh, I do think about a lot about how I think I'm quite, I like writing or bouncing ideas off other people. And I think, I need. I think. I think I'm ready to start collaborating a little bit more than I have been doing recently. Again, if that makes sense. Um, well, just have someone. I think some of my friends are getting all the brunt of my wacky bullshit ideas that I come out with on a daily basis that have nothing to do with music, and are just like, "Why are you telling me about this?" Yeah. <laughs> and I think I need like I need like a Ryan again. I think I'm getting. But I, it has been fun doing it alone and repurposing myself and finding where i am now and stuff but yeah it does feel quite exposed it does but we'll see we'll see yeah well it, it, and i think too like when you are used to creating with people even if it's one of those things where you're contribute i mean you know because it's a tight-knit group and there was only maybe two or three of you at, at any given point it's not like there was a you know, like you were a five piece band and like you were one voice amongst the other four where, um, you know, each person kind of fills their role, like where it's like, you know, if a person can't really, you know, they don't play guitar, they don't write music, but at the same time they're good at, uh, you know, editing being like, I think we play that part too long or whatever. Um, but then, 
when you're used to that collaborative environment, I can understand where you're just like, it's cool to do it on my own, but then it's also cool to, like you said, and not just bug people who don't have a context for what it is you're bugging them about. Like they're like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I know you play music and stuff, but like, <laughs> I don't know how to help you. Like, I, I don't know what to say to you, you know, it does happen sometimes. <laughs> but I'm like, Hey, what do you think about this? And then it's like, I don't know. Like, I, and I just realized I, I need someone just to like, I need like a Ryan to bounce the idea off, you know, and get like a perspective on this. But uh, yeah, no, I definitely am looking to make it more, uh, more kind of, collaborative and more people involved uh, i think like we're doing these release shows and we're doing it as a four piece right. which is really really cool and exciting so yeah exactly because yeah. yeah you're like this is comfortable this is what i've felt in the past so <laughs> absolutely um the uh the last few things i want to hit on was the uh the idea that um you know i mean clearly the influence of you know what you you know kind of grew up with like stylistically um you know most people could probably look at it and be like look at the music that you create and be like oh yeah like you know you're influenced by you know all the you know mid-90s emo bands and stuff like that um but well, how old are you personally i've just turned 29 okay and so you know I, i'm going to guess like like your introduction to that was you know whatever around 15 16 years old or like how did you kind of even crack into like i guess independent music to begin with did you go the whole uh you know you're super into you know sixth and uh all, all those bands in the uk and then you <laughs> and then you started to dive a little bit deeper or you know how what was your trajectory Six are crazy. They're an insane band. Yeah, there's some. I, I love the fact too that there's some bands in the UK that are like you know massive and legendary, and people everywhere else are just like who? Like like hundred reasons. There's the people like who? oh my first ever show. There you right? go. There you go. Hundred reasons and in me at the uh, Folkestone Lee's Cliff Hall so in good. Kent in England. Yeah, so first good. ever show. Um, yeah, that's great. Hundred reasons are exactly one of them, and uh, they're kind of we're in that emo style. I completely forgot about them. Um, yeah, I think I had a similar. I wasn't as involved in the UK scene ever, or like the smaller bands. I'd say Hundred Reasons is probably the small, smallest band in that respect. Um, I know who Sixth are because they used to have a video on Kerrang TV playing, and it was really weird and creepy, and the music was insane, and I didn't like it at all. I'll be honest. I might like it more now, but back then I was like, "Is this even music?" It was so heavy and oh, yeah. weird and angular, and anyone should ch- check that out. It's like S I. KTH, right? Yep. They're, they're a band, yeah. And um, yeah, no, it was more, I actually have a bit of a kinship with uh, American music and American independence more than I do UK. Uh, and I always have. I think in the same way a lot of people here, I grew up on Blink-182, Newfound Glory, all that stuff, and then just kind of went logically from there and followed where that tide kind of uh, took us. And then I got really heavily involved in all that stuff in terms of just listening and lurking on the internet and absolute punk and stuff. And uh, I kind of just followed that more than being involved in the UK side of stuff. So I always felt, I think that's one, one of my true norths was to come here. It was like, this is where all the music I like is from. Right. You know, I really did listen to a lot of American music. And then um, I kind of, after that, after like age 18, I kind of started getting into more indie stuff. And then when I was like, and eclectic stuff. And then when I was like 22, or 23, um, I heard like the Wonders, and I heard uh, who else? The Wonders. I got into Maritime, the band from Milwaukee that used to be in the Promise Ring. Oh, yeah. And I got into like Fireworks, who are a really underrated band. And like, 
I had my friend Alex who runs a distributor in the UK called Elsewhere. It used to be called Monkey Records. And he was kept trying to turn me on to this pop punk for years. And I was like, listen, I don't care about pop punk anymore. I don't like pop punk. I'm like 23. I don't care about pop punk. And then I heard those fans. I was like, oh, pop punk's sick. I like pop punk. Yeah, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. <laughs> I'm cool with that, yeah. And then um, started getting back into music. I kind of put music to the side and then heard those bands again, and it kind of reawakened my American independent thing. And obviously, where they came from was that scene, but they probably were just breaking through. But then I started touring here, and yeah, so I guess a lot of my independent thing is probably what you, you've experienced and gone through, but on a real, you know, you've been here experiencing it. I love knowing people's stories of growing up and seeing, like, I don't know, cursive when they were doing their thing or yeah. I think one of my friends, I was like, I don't know, yeah, like hearing about when the Fueled by Ramen bands were like on four band packages playing to like the 40 people in their town, you know? Yeah. And it's it's like, I wasn't there for that. I was so jealous, you know? I was like, oh, I wish I'd seen that. Yeah. But, there, uh, there, is a, there is something that is extremely romantic and not even from the I discovered this before anyone else knew it was cool scenario, which obviously people do ride on that rail. But just the notion of like, yeah, I saw this band, you know, play in front of, like you said, 40 people before, you know, whatever, a year and a half later, all of a sudden they're playing in front of, you know, 10,000. Um, and it... it it's just that that feeling of like oh man like this feels like something special like i can't you know i can't predict the future of this but man this is so cool and like i'm i experienced this on like the most uh primal you know base diy level you know yes definitely there is something very cool about that you also find bands get bigger than you ever thought they could have been you oh, know totally yeah yeah <laughs> yeah where you're like dude i knew you guys were gonna be like popular and stuff but like i didn't think you were gonna be selling out like 2000 cap venues like that's insane like that's just okay go go for it <laughs> for real i think about like we had a similar thing when me and ryan were at college and uh the front bottoms came through in england and they played in london and we took the train down from manchester like four hours like train or actually uh, two three hours train and uh, we went and it was like there was like 10 people there and there was like a headline artist called get kate where kate fly that used to be like quite a big deal in england um and they were opening and there were like 10 people in the room and no one cared me and ryan knew like every word i don't know how we discovered that band but you know it speaks to kind of american independence scene and i guess we were plugged into it at the time and um they were one of them you know like it was just we loved it and it was great it was when the first record came out or the, the self-titled one and i yeah i just never thought they'd be big <laughs> of course i didn't think they'd be big you know right right <laughs> like you know it was just like you didn't think that and then like a year and a half later they're selling out theaters it's like wow okay yeah, you know this- they were also one of those fans of the one who's really inspirational and kind of like Oh, I like I like punk music again. This is cool. Yeah, no, that's super. Yeah. That's super cool. Uh, and I I I promise that this is. I'm really not trying to lean on a cliched question because uh, you know I know that people most likely have asked you this, but I just find it incredibly interesting because you've had experience, obviously, in the UK and in the states. Um, you know the the differences that you notice in regards to you know whether it be like you know specifically to the independent you know diy music scene or if it's just like culturally at large where you're just like dude i can't believe that you dum-dums in america do this or you know not it doesn't even have to be something (laughs) negative but like what are are the kind of the large uh or maybe even small takeaways that you're just like i i can't believe that this is like the case good or bad 
Oh, that's such a broad question. It is. Right? I, and I, I, that's so broad. So, you, um, but you can't. You can specifically, like I said, kind of you know point it to the the music scenes if you see that, or if it's just like, dude, I can't believe if you guys don't really eat very much fish and chips over here or whatever. <laughs> like, it, it's just, nice. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I think. I don't know. Speaking to like music scenes and stuff, I think the basement, the basement, the basement as a thing, you know, I get asked about it a lot. And it's a good, a really good question. It's like uh, basements don't tend to exist in England because the houses have foundations, you know, for the most part. And it's like we don't really have basements. And the liquor laws in England, are, it's 18, 18 plus, like rather than 21 plus. So bar shows are eligible for anyone over the age of 18 but also some bars and some venues it's not a thing like so maybe all ages or 14 plus a bit more of a thing but those logistical considerations are so have such an effect on everything you know um and it really shapes the way the american scene is and british scene and and the british scene's detriment honestly because you guys have this basement culture where it's like, it's so helpful for touring bands. It's like, I'll say up a show. You can come play in my basement. I've got a PA. There's no overheads. There's no cost. There's no bureaucracy. Anyone can show up. Anyone can donate money. It's just like a very natural and easygoing thing. And then that's a really good thing. And then the really bad thing is that your bar and venue shows are often 21 plus And it's like really it's really uninclusive, you know, and that really sucks. But then it drives the kind of basement scene. So it's kind of a bit of both. But that's the main difference. I'd say there's not as much DIY in England. There is a lot of DIY. Going, oh, I know loads of people who do great stuff. But it is it is more attrition with it because you still need a venue. But like house shows happen, but almost never. Like there's rarely any house shows. So do, it's do, like... Do, yeah. to, inter- to interrupt your train of thought, do you... Because um, I know usually, like, I mean, here on the West Coast, like most you know sort of whatever house shows and i mean you know the west coast doesn't really have basements as well especially california but you know most of the house shows that exist uh only usually happen for a very short period of time because then you know usually people complain about the noise and cops come and stuff like that does that happen in the uk as well where it's like you know noise complaints at a person's house and then you know the uh the uh the coppers show up with their uh you know their their monocles and everything <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know anyone that's had the kind of, uh, I don't know anyone that's put on like regular, regular, regular house shows, you know? Sure. sure. I think I know people that like in Birmingham, we played house shows, like house shows, we played house shows and oh, we played several places in the UK, but, but it's usually more of a one-off type vibe, you know? It's like not the same basement that five touring bands roll through every month, you know. I think, I think the understanding is that it would get closed down if it became a more than one-off thing. I think that is the fear that we live under. But that's interesting about the basements in on the West Coast. I didn't really think about or know about that. I guess whenever I've been in the West Coast, I've played like DIY spaces, yeah. like Bridgetown or La Puente, yeah. uh, the. Yeah. Yeah. The Rift Mountain stuff. Yeah. Because I yeah. mean, logistically, it's just the fact that most houses don't have basements because, uh, you know, like earthquakes and like just the the architectural nature of I mean, this is mostly um, California centric and Southern California centric is like, you know, Northern California, like sometimes you can find some, you know, basements. But most, you know, the basement shows are just legendary up and down the East Coast 
or primarily just the Northeast, you know, and of course the Midwest and stuff like that. But yeah, once you get out to the, you know, West coast, like you, you are seeing just those like multi-purpose spaces that are being used rather than, you know, the proverbial basement or, you know, maybe people are playing in the living room or whatever, but, uh, but yeah, but that, that I, I can understand what you're talking about where it's like, you know, you'd play a, a spot show here or there, but not to the extent that you would, you know, have this like, Oh yeah, it's like, you know, Joe's house. Of course you're going to play Joe's house when you come through or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, ask your punk for the address, you know? Yeah, yeah. People will find it. Yeah, look um, look for the scene. That's interesting. Thanks for mentioning that, though, because I never thought of that, about that. I've never played a basement show in California, and I guess that's why. Yeah, exactly. you gotta be, so got to be safe. How does, how does that shape California's music scene, then, uh, for you? It, it, well, it's just always been like kind of these, you know, uh, these, these community spaces that exist, whether it's like a coffee shop that gets kind of turned into, um, you know, I'm, I'm mostly speaking about the you know, when I started to go to shows in like kind of, you know, the mid to late nineties where it was like, you had your, you know, venues like, you know, chain reaction when it first started. And then, you know, the showcase theater, which was, you know, not in orange County in particular, but it was a really, really big spot that, um, you know, people played shows, but that was like an old movie theater that got turned into a venue. Um, but like, when you start to step below both of those, like, you know, whatever those, three to 400 cap rooms it was always like a coffee shop that you know had some shows like there was this place um in uh fullerton california this place called the hub uh now it's called the slide bar and they do like you know rock and roll free shows and it's kind of a you know a, a broy atmosphere but the hub when they used to do shows there it was all you know your your sort of you know southern california emo bands um like i'll never forget this is probably one of the most emo band names of all time a uh, hundred words for snow and like okay. just just <laughs> yeah. adorable but like the band was really good but like they always played there just because it was like you know it was a coffee shop and it was chill and like there's no way that you could have a hardcore show there because everyone would be super bummed <laughs> if someone started yelling so, in their face or whatever so where did the hardcore shows go then uh usually a lot of the hardcore shows just went to kind of the um you know showcase theater chain reaction um there there was a play there was another place called coos cafe that was a, a really big deal um you know mid late 90s and early 2000s where it was like it was again just a coffee shop but they would be able to do um you know a, a bunch of different styles of music like you know one day you could see um you know wesley willis play there and then the next day you'd see get up, get, wesley willis. oh dude yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the biggest shows i ever saw there was wesley willis there was probably really? like, like i mean you could fit maybe a hundred people in the room, but you could fit like 400 people in this courtyard that could look in to the show. And it I mean, it was just irresponsible, like, you know, fire hazard on fire hazard, but, uh, was yeah. it good? I've only ever heard, I think like one song, but I know the shtick. Oh yeah. Like, he totally, he had, butted. he, I saw him headbutt people and it was just like, what? I, <laughs> I don't, I, this, nothing about this feels right. Like this just feels weird. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was, it was funny. And then you sit that you also would see, there was another artist, uh, the kids of Whitney high, which was basically, um, the, uh, this was a special education music program located in Los Angeles that these kids would work with their high school teachers, uh, to be able to, you know, like create music. And like, you know, they were, they were, you know, afflicted with, you know, a, a variety of different, uh, circumstances, either, you know, like mentally incapacitated or like, you know, they're in a wheelchair or whatever. And it was probably one of the most joyful shows I've ever seen because these kids were singing like, the, you know the just like the coolest like most upbeat songs possible their music teachers were playing behind them and it was like just so so cool but anyway and then mike Patton from faith no more put out the record and anyways but i'm i digress but like that's the sort of space in which uh bands of all different genres would play so it was uh interesting yeah but it's like we were lucky enough to have something like that um 
and yeah, but anyways, that's, uh, that's the, uh, that's the, that's the beauty of, uh, you know, finding these spaces and then actually having volunteers be able to like, you know, work on it and everything like that. So it's really cool. Yeah, it is awesome. Yeah. I love all those kind of things. Yeah. Well, dude, I really appreciate you hanging out because, uh, yeah, I just, I, 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 I am a genuine fan of your music and I think that most people will, that listen to the show will genuinely like what you do. So you, everyone encourage you to check out all of the music that, that amen has put out because you will enjoy it. So, but thank you for doing this, dude. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate it. It's been a blast. So winter is probably ending for you in in some way, shape, or form, which means it's finally time to get back into a routine that makes you feel good and empowers you to feel your healthiest with care of. This company is rad. It can be really hard to know what vitamins or supplements that you should be taking, but care of makes it super easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest with their fun online quiz. Simply answer a few questions about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices, and then you get your personal scientifically backed vitamin and supplement recommendations in just five minutes. There's vegan and vegetarian supplement options as well to match your dietary needs. Hell yeah, vegan. Anyways. I love this. I've been doing this service now for about three months, you know, answered these questions. The packages come once a month. It's, it's just great. And you know exactly what you're getting. They tell you why you are taking these things and it's awesome. So for 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, go to takecareof.com and enter words 50. That's takecareof.com and enter words 50 for 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. I want to make you healthy. Come be healthy with me, okay? I want to just make your life better, all right? Now, on with the show. All right, that was Amen. You need to check out his band, Holy Pinto. Super, super good. And um, yeah, so now here is the interview that I did with Cody, and I hope you enjoy it. You know, like I mentioned that I, I had seen Murder City Devils play many, many times, but I, 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 I unfortunately have a bone to pick with you, Cody, because you, uh, you singed my arm hairs at, uh, the PCH club with, uh, you guys in the locust. And that's when, uh-huh. uh, you know, you, you lit your symbols on fire and, uh, you know, you hit them and I was standing a little bit too close. And so, uh, so yeah, yeah you burnt my arm hairs and that's okay. Well, you, you learned a valuable lesson. I, I did it, basically, and you, you acted like my and, father in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? It's the best you you learn about the dangers of fire and and uh, boundaries and uh, you know you, I, I bet you felt alive for a second there. I I, I did and like I had, <laughs> I I just was it was one of the, I mean you know the PCH club and it was just like oh my gosh like I you know this is obviously the era before uh, Great White and everything else happened but uh, yeah that was a that that blew my mind but I still like you guys so it was cool I didn't hold, harbor any resentment oh, cool. towards you. Well, I'm glad uh, it wasn't. Uh, I'm glad it wasn't a serious injury or anything like that. That would be, yes, <laughs> that would be, yeah, that, that would be a much different conversation we're having right now. It, it would, it would. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's this whole big ruse that I'm like, I'm going to interview for my podcast and I'm going to talk about suing you now, 20 years later. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, the amount of times that we did that in the different small rooms that it happened in, I'm in retrospect, totally amazed that, uh, nothing horrible happened at any point yes that is like nobody nobody was harmed and i think the closest we came was i accidentally lit uh spencer's pants on fire <laughs> one time but it was it was fine but man like yeah it could yeah. it could it could have turned differently but um, yeah jo- all joking aside the 
the idea that I saw you guys with so many uh, different styles of bands where it's like, you know, you, you came down with the Locust and, you know, you toured with the Black Halos and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I know, um, you know, it's something that I, I've noticed you kind of uh, mentioned in other interviews where there was always this, uh, this, this desire for you guys to, you know, be a rock and roll band, but you know, you always kind of ended up playing with, you know, punk or hardcore bands because it was much better than, you know, playing with, uh, you know, the, uh, or, or the getting wedged into like a, a rockabilly world and stuff like that, which is something you guys never really wanted to. Um, yeah. so the, you know, the idea that there was kind of the, people were trying to, you know, put a square peg in a round hole where they were taking mercy devils and trying to put them into uh, different environments. What are some of those uh, environments that you remember where it was like, Oh dude, like maybe stylistically this makes sense, but like vibe wise, this is horrible. Uh, Oh boy. That's, that's a, a, you got me reaching back now. I understand. A lot of mileage. Yes. Uh, <laughs> It, the thing I remember most is just like kind of like having to stay on top of like poster designs. Uh, I, I, like, oh sure, we played. I remember we played like some shows with like the Reverend Horton Heat once, and that was just like, ugh. like, right. like that didn't go great. Uh, in terms of like, this is not what we want to be. I think after that happened, that's when like the poster show posters and stuff. It's like everyone started to look like you know, like rat fink. And, and there, so we had to like put out like a call. It's like, okay, there can't be any horned devil girls with their boobs out <laughs> in a hot rod with an eight ball shifter. And, uh, you know, it's like right. that started to happen. It was like, no, 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 no. It's not what we're trying to do. Uh, but I don't know. We played with a lot of weird different bands and sometimes it worked. Sometimes it, it didn't. Like we had a great time playing with Pearl Jam. Uh, we had right. we played with I think we played with the Flaming Groovies once. Now uh, uh, we played with X. We played uh, it was it was all fine. Uh, um, I'm just I can't I can't think of it. A, a, I know there is times where we were like super bummed on on how it turned out, but yeah. It might take me a second. No, <laughs> it's no, too, too huge fact. No, it's totally fine. I just think it, it it's something that I guess did, never really uh, occurred to me. But you know, in seeing it from your point of view, where I could easily see people on the outside being like, "Oh yes," like you know, looking at their cover art and looking at the fact that they're a rock and roll band that has like a switchblade on the cover. Like, of course, it makes sense for them to play, you know, hoot nanny or yeah. whatever. Like, I just never thought about it in those terms. But I can easily see where you guys were just kind of you know, assaulted by that, uh, you know, time and time again, where it's just like, no, like that's not our scene. That's not what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it happened so many times that it kind of became our comfort zone. Like just a couple years ago, we played at the, uh, the psycho fest in, in Las Vegas. And we were, I think we were playing in front of swans and Mastodon and everybody else in the lineup, it seemed to be largely a very like stoner rock metal uh, centric lineup. So, excuse me, um, we didn't really feel like we belonged in that lineup. But what the, it ended up being like a super great show. Like I, I felt like we were when we feel like we're behind enemy lines in a certain degree, like uh, it, where it's like we don't belong here, but we're here. I think that's where we kind of like 
became comfortable. Uh, sure. It's Cause it's like the, the pressure's off. I guess like, or it's like, all right, like let's just go for it. Yeah. What let's we, just what go for it. And like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that, uh, those always ended up being like our best shows or, or my favorite shows anyway, where we were just like, all right, we don't belong here. These people don't want us here. Fuck it. Let's go. And it, it ends up being, you know, just a slight confrontational edge to everything really, really helps things out a lot. Yeah. I, I really like that point. Cause I think that's, I mean, you know, clearly big business has existed in that world as well, where it's just like, well, we don't belong here. So like, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to sit with us for, you know, half an hour to 40 minutes or whatever. And then maybe you'll like some of the things that we do. But I do think that there is that element of like, all right, you know, you, you're standing in front of a crowd that has their, you know, their cross me arms, like, Oh, okay. Impress me band. Like, show me what's up guys. Yeah. 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 And then you kind of just have to play through that. And then maybe at the end of it, some of those people turn around and like, Oh, those guys weren't so bad. Yeah, it, it happens. It's, it's, I don't know. I, I like it. I like it, uh, both ways too. I, I like it when it, I think my favorite kind of show is to play is like a, a small capacity, club that's full you know and maybe the stage is low to the ground and you're like right there with everybody it's just the most like it seems like everybody gets the energy that's like bouncing back and forth and it it makes for uh things accelerate a lot faster i guess uh but yeah it's always like sometimes you end up playing in in a place that like nobody knows where you are or nobody knows who you are you know they're not familiar with your band and yeah, you don't fit into the other bands on the bill, uh, but it's fun. It, it, it's cool. I, I like. I like when uh, yeah, people are like, "Wow, I didn't expect you guys to sound like that. It was awesome." Or you know, the next day you read whatever, like that was the worst show I've ever seen in my life. Like they're just totally not into it at all, and that's totally okay too. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Um, so kind of, kind of putting the focus on you as a person, uh, were you born and raised in the Seattle area? I, I actually couldn't for sort of from, from a biographical perspective, I wasn't able to track that. Yeah, I was, I was born in Bellingham, Washington, which is right up by the Canadian border. Yes. And then I went to like middle school and high school in Mount Vernon, Washington, which is kind of in between Bellingham and Seattle. And then as soon as I got out of high school, I moved to, uh, uh Seattle and I was there for about 14 years, I guess. Got it. Got it. And what was your uh, family structure like growing up? Like brothers and sisters, mom and dad in the house, or how did that look? Uh, my my biological parents got divorced when I was like three years old. Um, so I was lived with my mom. Um, they both remarried, uh, and it wasn't. Gr- I, I was like an only child, kind of bouncing around a little bit. Mm-hmm. I have a half sister, but we didn't really grow up together. Got she's it. great. She's we're clo- I mean we're we like each other a lot, <laughs> but uh, we just didn't spend that much time together growing up. Sure. And yeah, it was just kind of like uh, my parents I was living with. They weren't or my stepdad and my mom. They didn't have the uh, the happiest marriage, and so they were kind of preoccupied with. To my memory, anyway, they were kind of preoccupied uh, with their unhappy marriage in my you know middle school, high school years. Uh, so it was kind of, I feel like on a large part of that, I was kind of on my own a little bit to kind of, uh, figure things out for myself and, and you know, sure, sure. figure, figure out who I was <laughs> or whatever, what my identity was and stuff. Uh, just kind of without any, you know, guidance any, or, or, or yeah. parenting, so to speak. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and kind of, I mean, I guess be sort of because of that, like as you were, you know, watching the, or because you recognize the fact where it's just like, oh man, like, you know, they, they have their own problems. It seems like they're, they're dealing with what they, they have to deal with. And, you know, I'm, you know, not an afterthought, but you know, clearly they have to take deal with what they're dealing with. Um, you know, did that, uh, did that like, I guess weigh on you or was that one of those things where you're just like, okay, cool. Like I got more time to, you know, work on myself and, you know, figure out all those stupid stuff I'm into. Uh, mm, one was probably kind of like a product of the other. Like, I mean, nobody likes to feel like they're an inconvenience or anything like that. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I just, you know, once I got into music and stuff like that was really my escape from all of that. And, you know, I quickly found a bunch of the friends and, uh, who were into the same thing. And, and, uh, a pair of my friends had a, uh, some really cool parents with a really big house kind of out in the, out in the county a little bit. So we, they totally let us turn the basement into, you know, a jam space. And that's like where I learned how to play the drums. That's, um, that's and they were great. So we always had a, you know, I, I had a pretty tight circle of friends and we always had a place to go and everything like that. So it was, it was fun, you know, it was all right. And I didn't always have to like go home if I didn't want to, you know? Yeah, no, that's cool. It, it, I, I always really like how there is, you know, within a circle of whatever, you know, six to 10 friends, there always happens to be that house that is kind of the house where people congregate and, you know, can feel not only safe, but just be like, oh yeah, like this is a good space. And then on top of that all for them to allow you to play drums, there is a, that's a pretty, uh, it's, uh, you know, the sainthood is <laughs> like, I can't imagine, you know, in your leisure time in, you know, later in life, in your, in your safe place, having to listen to some kid learn how to play the drums <laughs> in, for hours and hours and hours, you know, like I, I can't believe they did that. So right. I, I always, I love them very much. They're, I also on, on record, I, I love my mom very much too. I don't, I don't sure. want to make it sound like I, no, I, no, no, I, no. I don't, but like she's going through a rough time at the, at the same, same time I was, you know, but, yeah. uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was great being able to, you know, have a, have a place to go and, 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 you know, write stupid songs and be terrible and have a really fun time, you know? Right. Right. Um, and so like, were, were drums kind of like the, always the, the focal point, like, was that the first instrument you were attracted to or did you like mess around with guitar first and then dive on drums or was drums like it? No, it was drums from a very early age. I, I had an uncle who played drums, and I thought he's the coolest. And that I knew from really early on that that's what I wanted to do. Got it. But I, I yeah, I don't, I don't know why I never like. I guess I wasn't in a, a, a joiner inner uh, uh, frame of mind in, in school, or <laughs> I, I don't know why I never joined the band or did marching band or anything like that. But I really wanted to play the drums. But at the same time, I was like, I don't know if I want to. I guess I wanted to do it my way or whatever a way that was fun. But, uh, yeah, I never got into like being playing music in school. Right. Right. Yeah. Which I, I probably, I probably would have had a leg up doing that, you know? <laughs> sure. I, I, I do think that there is that initial attraction from most kids to drums just because, you know, the idea of like, Oh, there's no like quote unquote notes, you know, it's like, I, I just need to hit this thing hard or whatever. Um, that, that, I guess, primal attraction to it. It seems to always, um, you know, spark a few kids, uh, towards sure. that, that instrument. Plus it's like, I mean, you're playing an instrument that looks like a car or something, you know, like it's like, 
I remember my, my uncle's first kit is this like blue sparkle Ludwig kit. And it, I just remember thinking it looked like a sports car or something. Right. And, and I was like, oh man, that's so cool. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the pilot of this thing. That's cool. I, exactly. I, yeah. I never thought about it in those terms, but yeah, it does make sense where it's like, you're, you're sitting behind this thing and just, yeah, you're, that's cool. I, I, I didn't <laughs> think about it like that. Um, so how, like, how did the, um, I guess the more sort of like independent DIY stuff kind of come into your life? Was that, um, I mean, it sounds like your group of friends were all kind of ping ponging bands back and forth with one another. Was that kind of the, the incubation stage? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, just everybody playing with whoever they could. We, you know, it's a pretty small town, Mount Vernon. So it was just kind of friends starting bands and then we'd play at whatever party was happening or, you know drag a generator out into the woods like over you know a keg and a bonfire uh or like at the grange uh the rexville grange um <laughs> uh, yeah it was, it was just playing wherever you could and uh it was great it was really fun and all, all those and I, I like all those guys and i miss all those guys and and uh it was a it was a fun time you know Sure. So, so what were the kind of the, um, sort of beginning bands that you were, uh, you know, attempting to rip off that were, uh, you know, influences in your early, uh, early playing days? Um, well, we, we do love the Melvins. Uh, 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 we loved, uh, uh, just weird band. I agree. I was really into T-Rex and, and, and Queen and stuff like that. And, uh, I don't know, just like psychedelic weird bands, um got it yeah and, and what was it wasn't that? until I, I didn't i didn't get into like like hardcore and stuff like that till way way later like I, again like i really could have used a, a couple older siblings <laughs> to like jumpstart me into like you know culture music culture or whatever but it's like a lot of the a lot of the stuff that everybody had already been way into uh, by the time I was like 18 or 19, I was just like getting turned on to like, you know, like the history of like American punk rock and how it influenced British punk rock and, you know, and all the ins and outs of all that. Like I, I, I totally didn't get into that till, you know, later in my life, like when I like 19, 20 years old, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, in many respects, that's, um, you know, I think that's pretty cool because, when you, and I'm, I'm sure you can attest to this, like when you're young and you're just kind of, you know, consuming music, like you really are just listening to music kind of for music's sake. Like you've got no context for, you know, a scene and like what's cool and not cool. Like you're just getting into kind of everything. And like, even though you may be picking up stuff that is like, you know, quote unquote lame from whatever your friends are judging you, you're just kind of like, putting it sure. Head. Yeah. And there's no, it's, there's something, uh, to be said for the mystery of it all, you know, like where it's like, I don't know what the rules of this game are at all. So therefore anything is possible. Like I can do anything, you know? And it's, I like, you know, it's kind of like the argument of like, like low art and high art or whatever, where it's like the more educated you are about what the rules are in this certain discipline, the more constrained you are by, you know, that, Mm-hmm. genre and, and and like adhering to those those rules and it was i just remember being like learning to play drums and learning like how a song was put together and like how uh, it just like it's a just total open-ended thing you know like i have no idea what the rules of this game are at all i know i like it and i know I like this and i know I like this i'm not sure why i don't know where this came from like i don't know where it's going but like 
we're gonna you know gonna throw this at the wall and see if it sticks <laughs> and like that, that, it was just a like it felt free you know and you're just figuring all that out and yeah taking taking wild stabs in the dark you know sure sure totally no it's cool because yeah there's like you said there's there's no rules and it's all just being kind of you know thrown out there in a very you know carefree way as opposed to um like you said once you have all these other contextual <laughs> evidence-based things kind of in your head where it's just like, Oh, I, I guess maybe this shouldn't go together like this. It's like, Oh no, man, whatever. We'll just do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, clearly like murder city devils wasn't like your first band. Um, you know, walk me through some of those like, uh, early band years, uh, where you were, you know, just obviously trying to figure out what you were doing, playing drums and playing shows and stuff like that. Cause they have to have, of course, horrible band names that I imagine are, are, are. Oh awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was in a band, uh, the the most metal band I was in uh, in Mount Vernon. We actually our, our big uh, our big one of the most embarrassing nights of my life. Uh, we, we got to open for Seven Year Bitch. Oh, okay. They, they came through our town, and it was like it was such a big deal. I've actually told this story to uh, uh, Celine <laughs> before, <laughs> but uh, 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 we I was in a band called Cranial Decomposition. Oh. Dude, that is so, and, such a good name. Yeah, and they were like a band. It was like a rotating lineup sort of band. Like they started out with their original lineup, and they kind of switched out some members. So I was like in cranial decomposition, Mark Three. Like it, it was like a couple young kids. I think it was the original lead singer, and the rest of us were like you know sophomores in high school or like freshmen in high school. Uh, and I was so excited. I, I loved Seven Year Bitch, and like I was so excited for the show, and I had a huge, huge crush on the drummer. And I was like, I, I, th- I was, I had to be 15 at the time, like 15 or 16. And, uh, I had this, my borrowed set that I got from my, uh, my karate instructor was, uh, it, it was a, uh, it was a Tama set, but it had a, one of those like rack systems. Oh yeah. Totally. So just not cool at all. Right. So it just had like the huge football goalpost, uh, rack sitting up there. And we practiced and practiced and practiced and I was so excited for the show. And like the whole town was just, it was at the park, like the local park hall, Grange Hall or whatever. And, uh, we got there and started playing and like, I think we got like one or two songs in and our lead singer just like started getting quieter and quieter. And then he like, I'm watching him and I'm playing and he like, then he just like sat down on the edge of the stage and he, he looked like he was shrinking. He was just like deflating and he got quieter and quieter. And then he just like put the mic down and like, just like hung his head down and he just like quit singing in the middle of the set. And we were just kind of like looking at each other like, I don't, so we like stopped and we're like, dude, what's going on? He was just like, oh, and he just kind of like wandered off. <laughs> and that was the end of the show. And I was just like, Oh my God. Like I was so horrified and like, I was just like, oh, I'm going to hang out with these girls and it's, it's going to be awesome. And they're a rad band and maybe we can play with them in Seattle and right. got so excited. And then it was just like, afterward, I didn't want to talk to any of them. Like I was just totally horrified. <laughs> it was terrible. Dude, so yeah. that, was my, that was my first like high stakes. <laughs> that we played and it, it was, uh, it did, it didn't I, pan yeah. out like you wanted. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. I, it had a very Charlie Brown ending. I, I remember actually walking home by myself in the rain too. And it, I, you know, as the Christmas theme from Charlie Brown played in my head. Of course, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Lucy, Lucy pulls the football away from you <laughs> uh, over and over again. Yeah. yeah. 
No, I, I really like that story because it, it, you do, you know, as a, as a young person, like you build up this this uh, course of action of what will happen where it's just like, dude, we're going to play the show. It's going to be awesome. We're going to make friends. And then like you said, oh, maybe we'll open for them in Seattle. And like, it's just going to be the beginning. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. it just goes away. Nope. <laughs> nope. nope, not at all. <laughs> not so fast there, sport. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it, I mean, you know, like it was kind of a, a good lesson where it's like, you know, it's not that big of a deal in the, in the huge scheme of things like blowing a show or having a terrible show. It's like, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, like you can play another show. Even like, um, I became in later years, good friends with, uh, Kim Warnick from the fastbacks. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And she's, she's a really good friend of mine. And I remember talking about records once and I was stressed out about some record we were making and she's like hey you know what the great thing is about rock and roll records and i'm like what and she's like you can always make another one it's like oh that, that you know yep you're true. right yep. <laughs> that's it's it's not the end of the world by a long shot you know yeah for sure yeah the the creative process can start all over again <laughs> yeah um, exactly in a world where everyone is confined to their homes society begins its largest bin watch to date in the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. And, you know, you as a person, from just the way that you, you know, you project yourself outwardly and kind of, you know, how you've, uh, you're, you're, well, I'm not going to say like the personality you've built because that sounds like it's some, you know, <laughs> it's some, uh, you know, overarch- <laughs> overarching plan of yours or whatever. But, you know, there's clearly a self-deprecating sense of humor that has, you know, been a through line in the way that you have kind of always been, um, you know, and how you kind of present yourself in interviews and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm. Was that always kind of the way that you are and were where you were, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, Cody's kind of the class clown or whatever. He's just the guy that likes to, you know, take the piss out of people. Is that something that has always kind of been you or is that something that you just kind of, you know, grew into as you got older? Uh, I think there's a deep vein of like sarcasm that runs in the, my mom's side of the family. Okay. Uh, uh, but I feel like that's how I've always been in my circle of friends, like in a, in a, uh, uh, in a relaxed environment where I'm not, I've never been that way outwardly. Like in school, I was like, I feel maybe somebody else has a totally different perception of me in like middle school and high school. But like, I felt like I was like constantly, uh, mortified, uh, just being so like socially awkward and totally paralyzed in public, you know, like in, you know, as everybody does when they're a t- young teenager and your body's weird and you don't know how to act <laughs> in, 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 you know, in social situations. But, 
once I got around, like, you know, I had a couple of really good friends where, you know, when we were hanging out together, that's, you know, it was just shooting the shit. And, uh, yeah, like that, that kind of sense of humor, just like, I guess it's like kind of bratty, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's all in fun, but like, yeah, I mean, there's always this, I don't know if it's a Northwest thing or either too, but yeah, it's always this kind of sense of like, nobody's really better than anybody else. Like there's like, you know, I, I definitely felt like there was a, uh, uh, anybody ever got too big for their britches in my circle of friends. Like you're definitely like taking down a peg immediately right. <laughs> and re, you know, remembering like, who, who do you think you are again? Yeah. yeah. Dude, you're not, you're not. Cool. Yeah. 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 This yeah. Isn't... You've never, you've never been cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're all, yeah, yeah. we're all just kind of figuring this out like absolute fools. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, you know, kind of as you started to, you know, play shows and, and, you know, school and all these things that were happening, was there ever kind of any other sort of, uh, path for you once music kind of, you know, took hold or was it one of those things where you're just like, nah, man, I just want to play music. Like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, try to be a veterinarian or whatever, you know, all these other career paths and stuff like that kind of, uh, came into play. No, I, I was pretty much committed to doing this. I, I figured as long as I had a chance to do it for real, I would try to be as good at it as I possibly could mm-hmm. and take it as far as I possibly could just in, not in any sort of like, like I know enough about music history to, to like, it's like, I'm going to be a rich guy or I'm going to be, it was more like I really wanted to be, uh, I don't know, just see what would happen. Like, like be as good as I possibly could be in the, you know, like fully commit to whatever band I was playing with and and try to do our best and take it hopefully do something that no one's ever done before or hopefully do something that's ours that you know will maybe last a little while uh something unique you know a, a contribution <laughs> to, to something like if, sure. if 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 i may be so bold like that that's just yeah no i understand that, that, would, that would be the the ultimate goal you know like to do something make something in a way that's totally unique to who we are and uh, be, be glad with that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. No, well, I, I mean, I you, there are definitely people that, you know, like once they start to play in bands and tour and start to kind of experience that lifestyle that have the, the idea in their head where it's like, yeah, this is a finite time in my life, you know? And like, whether or not they can actually vocalize that is a different story, but it's just like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, 50 and playing in a hardcore band or whatever, but there are people such as yourself who are just like, well, I like to play drums and I like to play drums aggressively. I'm just going to figure out, you know, I I can play in different type of aggressive ish (laughs) rock bands or whatever. So it's like, yeah, there's, there's kind of two different paths. So I understand what you're talking about though. Yeah. It's kind of a, I don't know if it's like a sickness. It's always like right when I'm about to lose hope completely, there's just enough of a glimmer of light of hope just to pull me back in again. And yeah. like every, like every time I've like almost been just like, uh, maybe I should figure something else out to do here. Cause this is like, this is, how, how am I going to keep doing this forever? Like every time that happens, there's just like a little beam of light gleams through and like sucks me back in again. So I, I don't know. It, it never was a conscious choice, but like, as long as like, you know, I, I can pay a rent and, and, we can do a little better next time. Like it, it's, uh, I, I'm curious to see where it's all going to go. You yeah. Know? It's like, it, if, yeah, if it, keep, if it keeps going, it keeps going. That's, that's yeah. what you'll, you'll, you'll keep following that. Um, yeah. 
and, and kind of on that, I, I presume that like you didn't, uh, you know, did you go to college and like pursue any degrees from that perspective or was it basically all just, no, 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 yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. Um, no. So, you know, how did your, uh, I guess, you know, how did your mom and dad and like your, your family at large of being like, yeah, we understand you like drums, Cody, but like, come on, like that, that's not gonna, that's not gonna provide you sustenance or did they just basically like, Hey man, pursue what you need to. Uh, at first it was when I first was doing it, uh, uh, my mom of course was very resistant to the idea of me doing that like as a profession, but, uh, they love it now. Like they Every time we play up in the Northwest, they come to the shows. Um, nice. They're, I, they know that, like, I think they're, they recognize that, like, I've really put my time and effort and, and skill into this. And um, I think they think I'm good. <laughs> so it's like, right. I, I think they enjoy it and they, you know, they, they like, coming out and seeing people rocking out to our band and, and, and doing whatever. And they think it's, they think it's great. So they're, I, I don't know if they understand it completely, but they, uh, I think they're fine with it, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, no, yeah. What, once a, a parent uh, is able to see, you know, their, their son or daughter do something in front of people, it doesn't even need to be a lot of people, but they can be like, wow, like those people are moved by the thing that they're doing. Like then it makes it yeah. real. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Um, and so then, um, you know, as you started to kind of get out there and tour, um, you know, and clearly you've toured for most of your life and, you know, have all the bands that you've played in have pretty, you know, unrelenting tour schedules. How, you know, and this may be a pretty complicated question, but like, how has your relationship with touring kind of evolved and changed over time? Because, you know, once you're out there for 10 months out of the year, it definitely feels like you're, uh, you know, in an alternate state of reality. Um, so how, how has it kind of evolved for you over the time? Uh, just like, uh, learning how to pace yourself a little bit more, uh, learning how to get all your ducks in a row ahead of time, like a lot of the hardest part of touring, I think, is just the all the startup stuff you have to do, like mm. making sure the routing's right, making sure you know, obviously, like the the guarantees are in place, and and like making sure the the merch is gonna gonna be there, uh, you know, accurately predicting what you're gonna sell and and what's gonna work and who you're playing. I, there's just a lot of like startup. Once once the tour actually starts, it's just. Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of in the machine and you just get into the rhythm of it. And it's, it really becomes about, there's so much repetition that it's, it's just about like just the little details in the set that like you, you start to tweak as, as the tour goes along. So it's, it really becomes like detail oriented, I guess, like as you go. But I, I, I guess I've been doing it long enough now where I, I really like playing in front of people. Um, and I like playing shows and it's fun to like meet people and, and see other bands and, you know, be in different cities and experience, you know, different, uh, uh environments and like local, <laughs> local, uh, food. And uh, like, it's just fun. I like traveling. I like, I like being somewhere different and, uh, right. Getting in front of people you haven't been in front of before. It's, it's, it's fun. I, I'm sure I can't do it forever, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not totally, uh, I'm not totally soured on it, you know? Yeah. Well, no, I mean that, that, that's good. Just the, the ability to, 
I guess, look at it, um, as it, as it comes and as it changes, uh, because, you know, I, I think people do once people view touring as a kind of a job, you know, it's like, Oh yes, this is a necessary, uh, not a necessary evil. Cause that makes it sound terrible. But, um, you know, when you have all these other things uh, and you in different directions, it's, a, it's hard. Yeah. And it's a real, like, I don't know, like a lot can go wrong. Uh, and if you're really not enjoying yourself, uh, if you if you don't really like the band you're in, if you don't really believe in the band you're in, it doesn't matter how much money you're making. Cause like, at the end of it all, like that's still like your life, you know, a year of your life has gone by after you've done this like touring cycle. And if you're spending it with people that you don't particularly, particularly like, sure. Or playing music that, you know, you don't, aren't really that into, like, I don't know what amount of money it would have to be a lot of money, like a lot of money right. <laughs> to like, to make, but still it's like that time spent. If it's a grind for you, you know, like it, it, uh, I, I can't see you lasting doing it. And also like when you're that in that close proximity over that much time with the same people, it's like, uh, negativity is super contagious. If there's one person who's just a black cloud, like it, it does seep into everybody else's attitude. So it's really important to like keep things light and try to keep things really positive as you go along. Because as soon as, as soon as someone's not having a good time and like become a total boat anchor like it it really does like seep into every aspect of of your daily life you know right because that is your daily life it's tour it's not that's all it is yeah 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 for sure that makes sense um the and it sounds too like the you know in in all the bands that you've played in you have played some role in regards to kind of you know the planning and sort of the the business aspects of the band um and you know, not everybody uh, is interested or suited for that. Um, is, is is that a correct characterization, or do you try to stay as far away from the business side of things as possible? Not really. I do I, I do what I have to do. Like, I, if there's an aspect of that that needs to to get done, I I take care of it. But it's definitely not my uh, that's not my forte for sure. <laughs> like in big in big business, Jared is like way more detailed business oriented and and as far as like crunching numbers and and, and doing all that we and we both pitch in on it but it's oh man i just don't have a great time right it's de- just- dealing with that stuff I, I don't mind i usually take care of like the booking aspect of it and like talking to the booking agent about you know routing and you know making sure that we have an acceptable amount of days off so we're not completely killing ourselves uh uh logistical stuff like that you know but as far as like business planning and stuff like that it's it's not my strongest suit right right yeah or not something that you necessarily enjoy either. yeah I, I, I don't know anybody who really enjoys it but i'm sure people do yeah well there, there are there are there, usually there's like you know one or two people in the band that are just like they like the sort of uh the planning aspect of it, you know, where it's like, Oh, mm-hmm. cool. I got I mean, yeah. Cause no one really likes like, Oh dude, I can't wait to, you know, look at a spreadsheet for an hour looking at yeah. a tour budget or whatever, but gonna, yeah. Gonna fire up those QuickBooks and <laughs> go to town. Don't even bother me. Yeah. Just, yeah. just, yeah. I don't want to write songs for a year, man. Just let me just let me hang out with QuickBooks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so then, uh, you know, I, I especially find that, you know, interesting as well, because, you know, I mean, in you playing with the Melvins and you joining, uh, some joining a band that, you know, clearly already had their, uh, you know, their business sense and everything else kind of already settled. Um, mm-hmm. was it interesting for you to kind of join this, uh, sort of well-oiled machine that was like, Cody, 
we need you to do your drums, man. Like, you know, do it for these things. Um, or, or was that, uh, you know, just made it all the, all the easier for you to be like, yes, of course I would play with one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I don't, I'm just going to ask this question again. Is I, I, I like, was it, I mean, would be enjoying the, yeah, it's okay. Enjoying the Melvins. Was it one of those things where it was a very, um, it, it was very easy for you to kind of join and basically contribute solely as a drummer? Uh, or was it, um, you know, basically was it more freeing to kind of have that, uh, those expectations kind of set. Whereas like, you know, when the other bands you played and like you said, you kind of have to do these other sort of like business things that, um, don't necessarily, uh, isn't necessarily something you enjoy, you know? Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, they definitely, uh, had their, had their shit together as far as like planning stuff in, in advance. And yeah, we weren't so much a part of that at all. And so it was mostly just like, here's where, the, here's the tour dates and, you know, these are the songs that we're going to practice, you know, and it, it wasn't like we were cut out completely. Like they, you know, we'd, we'd talk album covers and, 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 you know, like how everything is going to look, but it was mostly like, you know, we, we were definitely not driving the, the steering the ship or anything like that. Um, but I felt like we had plenty to do. <laughs> it was it was it was really fun being uh, adding our flavor to what we already knew was like the core of that band, you know, and something we were familiar with. And it, yeah, it was it was fun uh, uh, figuring all that out and and playing with those guys. Sure, sure. But we 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 we, we didn't have a lot to do with the uh, the business end of things. Right. Which is, yeah, I'm sure, like you said, in, in many respects, that's, that's freeing where you're just like, oh yeah, like, you know, they got, they already, they let me know, like, you know, the expectations coming in and like, you know, here's what, here's what's happening. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to show up and do my thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's just cool. Doing your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just exactly. Just do your job. Stay behind the kit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Fine by me. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, you know, in almost basically every interview that I've ever seen, you know, from you, uh, in regards to, you know, big business is people are just like, oh man, it's weird because like, you're not like a metal band, but like, you're not a sludge band, but you like, you know, you don't make sense anywhere. Um, yeah. and I mean, that's basically been like that for, you know, almost the entire duration of the band. But, you know, by this time, I think when, anytime people bring that up, I find it kind of comical because it's like, well, you know what big business is at this point. Like you guys are going to do your own thing and it's going to be aggressive, but you're not going to be able to predict what that, what that may mean. Um, is it kind of comical for you that people still kind of bring that up and always reference that? Um, I, I, I guess so. Like it's, it's just like, I do feel like we've kind of like stuck around long enough now where people are finally starting to recognize the thing that we, what, what we do, the thing that it is, uh, and that it is kind of its own thing. Um, and it's great. Like it, it feels good to finally kind of get to that point where I don't feel like everybody who sees us is totally scratching their heads, you know, wondering where to stick us in their mind. But I, I do feel like some people just aren't into it. Some people do want that. Like some people want that. Like I like doom, you know, I like this kind of metal and like, it's okay. Like I, I'm not bummed about it, but like, it's just, uh, I'm grateful that we're finally getting to the point where people get it in, in a certain way and they, they understand what it is that we do and, and 
uh, we don't have to, I don't feel like we have to like try to define ourselves or like jam ourselves into a, a weird spot that, you know, doesn't necessarily fit just so that we can, you know, play in front of people or whatever. So it's, uh, yeah, but it's all right. It's okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, and kind of, you know, the the idea, referencing kind of something you were saying a little bit earlier in regards to, you know, those those points where you're just like, oh man, like, you know, maybe maybe pursuing this whole drum thing is not what I need to be doing anymore. I need to be shifting my focus or whatever. Um, you know, because, I mean, everybody goes through those moments, you know, in their personal lives where it's just like, oh, maybe this job isn't right or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I guess, like, how did you, you know, cope with yourself as you were sort of trying to, you know, go through those low points of like, Oh, like, I don't, you know, like you said, there was always an opportunity that kind of came up and, you know, push you in that, that other direction. Um, but you know, I, I guess, how did you kind of, you know, give yourself those pep talks? Like, Oh yeah. Like I, I still need to keep going. Um, that's just it. Like I, I, it's kind of one of those, like, uh, uh I knew the job was dangerous when I took it scenarios where it's like, I, I understood, I actually, when I first joined Murder City Devils, I remember uh, uh, meeting Dan Gallucci for the first time, which is how I came to be in that band. Uh, we were at a party in Seattle, and we just started talking about music and rock. And he, you know, brought up this I, this idea. He's like, "We, I'm trying to start this band that's like a rock and roll band, like actual rock and roll." But it's like most of the guys that are in the band have been, you know, like in hardcore bands and stuff. But we want to play like rock and roll music, and we started talking about this and, uh, and, you know, I was like, Oh, I was like, they need a drummer. I totally want to do this. And, you know, we had this conversation about how like, you know, it's not a lot of happy endings in, in rock and roll. <laughs> it's it. in histor- <laughs> historically, uh, there's every chance that this is going to end, uh, badly, you know? Uh, so I always kind of like remembered that and, and it's like, I'm not, this really is about like, for me anyway, it's just kind of about this. I don't know where this is all going to end up. I don't know half the stuff that I've done and half the stuff that I've been able to do. I never would have imagined myself doing, uh, when I was 16 years old, you know, sure. I, I never would have imagined I was capable of it. So it, it only takes a couple times where you like surprise yourself. It, it's really kind of scary because it's like, I, okay. I didn't think I could do this. I can totally do this. Like, what else can I do? I really don't know what's going to happen. So there's just that. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to ride a while longer and, and see, I'm going to see where this ends up, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I like that thought process because it is, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, the, the way that, uh, I mean, my personal relationship, I, I toured for years and, you know, played in bands and stuff. And the, the way that I always viewed it was very much like, this is kind of a collection of experiences, you know, that I'm able to, to do for as long as, you know, humanly possible. Um, yeah. rather than this, like this, you know, linear roadmap where it's like, okay, well by playing in this band, I, it'll get me to point B, which will then get me to point C and point D or whatever. Um, but y- yeah, it's not, it's not this, like this grand plan, you know, where most people are expected to kind of go when they're talking about something that is like practical and a grown up job or whatever. Right. Yeah. They have their whole career mapped out, uh, uh, ahead of time. And I mean, if you can actualize that, like, man, more power to you. Like I, that's, that's amazing. But I, I just haven't thought of it that way. It, it's been really mostly about instant gratification on my part. Like I, I really enjoy 
making music with people I respect and, and are super talented and committed to doing it. Like, I don't think a lot of people realize what a rare thing it is to get more than a couple people together to actually commit to doing something like this that doesn't make that much sense and might not ever pay off, but like they still commit to it anyway. It's, it's really difficult to get all those cylinders firing. Um, so when it happens, it's realizing that and like having been through it enough times now when when that, that feeling of when everything's hitting and everybody's doing their job and you've lined everything up, you're on tour, the record's out, it's all happening at once. It's incredible. It's like winning the lottery. It's like, I can't believe we did this. Like, I can't believe it's all lining up and we made it happen. Uh, whatever happens after that, it's fine. But we like, you know, we somehow exercised our will on the universe <laughs> and it worked. So that's, it's a, it's, it's a great feeling, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's really cool. It looks like your, your dog barking at you. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the postman. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Come here, come here. Inside, inside. Inside. Um, two last things before I, before I let you go. You know, because you've kind of experienced, you know, a, a variety of different, um, you know, sizes of bands, you know, I mean, Emergency Devils, you know, obviously rose to a, a certain level of prominence. Big business has, you know, been successful in many rights. Melvin's clearly, you know, have uh, had their, um, you know, run the gamut of, of sizes of shows that you guys have played and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, what are some surreal moments that kind of stick out to you where it's just like, you know, kind of reflecting on what you're talking about of like, man, I can't even believe like all, all, all of these things that I never would have ever imagined, um, you know, me participating in. Um, do you have some of those like, you know, hallmark moments where you're like, this is wild. And it doesn't even have to be like big shows, but it can just be like, I can't even believe I'm like, you know, jamming in the same room with this person or whatever. Yeah. Like playing with Dale, it was definitely one of those moments. Like I never thought I would get to do something like that or be considered, uh, even on the same playing field, you know, like, uh, that was, that was huge. Uh, uh, the murder city doubles, like pretty early on, we, we got to open for Pearl jam for three days. Right. And so we were playing, uh, we had only played in, uh, I think the biggest show that we'd ever played at that point was in front of like maybe like six or 700 people, maybe a thousand, maybe. Right. Uh, so it was, we're playing an outdoor, one of those, uh, outdoor shed amphitheaters that holds 20,000 people and we're rolling up to the show in our really crappy like converted ambulance touring van right uh you know to do sound check in in this huge empty empty amphitheater um and that that was a real like i I think i've probably told this story before but it, it was a really uh sweet moment uh i was super nervous right before we played uh, I was sitting on the loading dock back behind the stage and just like kind of like going through the songs in my head and, and you can just hear e- even when they're not doing anything like that many people in one place makes a pretty loud sound. So just that like idle roar of like 20,000 people like on the other side of that curtain was just like uh, freaking me out pretty, pretty hard. Sure. And, and uh, so I'm like sitting there on the loading dock, just like trying to like get ready. I think we were on in like 10 or 15 minutes or something. And I see this like out of the corner of my eye, this like little guy is like walking up and I'm like, huh? and I look over and it's Eddie Vedder. <laughs> and he, I was just like, Oh God, like, I don't know if this is what I need right this second. And he sat down next to me. He's like, Hey man, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, just a bit nervous. You know, like I've never played in front of I never thought I'd play in front of this many people. This is really crazy. And he's like, oh, he's like, listen, he's like, 
you get in front of this many people, it's like the energy of that many people together. It looks like all these people want to have a good time. They want to like, like your band. Uh, he's like, it takes, you believe it or not, it takes a lot to derail that energy and to turn them against you. Like you'd have to do something really bad to make that happen. He's like, but he's like, don't worry about it. You're just going to play the songs. Like you've played them a million times before. If any, I mean, he's like, I'm going to be right on the side of the stage. If anything goes wrong, if anything gets weird, I'll come right out and introduce you guys as our friends from Seattle. And you guys aren't going to have a problem anymore. And I always really like, I thought that was like yeah. the nicest, sweetest thing. And I was like, dude, <laughs> you, that's so nice. Thank you. And he like, so I, I got this little pep talk from Eddie Vedder, like right before we went on and we went out and we played and it went great. And then, you know, I was sitting there. I don't even remember that part of it because it went by so fast and it was just so like every time I'd look up, I had to like look back down at my drums again because it was just too much to take in. Cause it went, right. cause like the, the roof of the shed I couldn't see, you know, people, it's just people going up the hill and I know there's more people beyond what I could see. So it was, it was totally mind boggling. Everybody was super nice. And, uh, afterward, like I was, you know, I came to, and I'm standing on the side of the stage and Pearl Jam's playing. And I was just like, God, I'd never in a million years thought I'd get to do something like that. And like, I, I did it. Like I played in front of that many people. It was totally fine. And these guys are like treating us so well and being, very very nice to us and it was a totally positive experience and uh, it just kind of like put things in a weird perspective where it's like ah it doesn't matter how many people you play in front of it's like there's no you can do anything like you anybody could have done that like you you can do all that stuff like it's fine you you're gonna be fine you know and uh, that was kind of like i can't imagine doing something bigger than that you know but uh it was yeah. okay and it, it was like wow what you know what else are we capable of doing? You know, right. right. No, it's, it's really cool. Cause I, I, the reason I like to ask those specific questions is because people usually do have those moments of just something that's like, you know, so, uh, something that they never thought that they would, you know, achieve, anticipate. And it's those little moments I think that really, um, you know, crystallize why people pursue creative arts because it's like, it can be something as simple as like, Oh dude, we sold out, you know, uh, we sold a hundred records at this one show or whatever. It could be something relatively quote unquote small, but it's going to be so much more impactful because you're like, wow, I never thought that this would happen. Yeah. I, I still, to this day, I'm like, I, I can't believe people care at all. <laughs> I, I, I like when someone's like, Oh, you're, you're like, I just listened to your new record. It's like, you did that on your own time with no I didn't have to from anybody. You. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. That's insane. Like, I, I, totally. I you barely convinced me to leave the house, you know, like that's, that's amazing. Right. Totally. Um, the last thing I want to hit on was you, uh, you know, clearly you live in Los Angeles now and how long have you lived in LA? uh 12 years okay and so the i presume the the move down here was uh you know to kind of precipitate just being you know i guess even more active within the context of like the music scene in general because like you moved down here after murder city broke up right we moved down here after uh, a big business had already started and we had done a couple tours um and it just kind of lined up where we uh, we we had both kind of like within a month of each other for different reasons, broken up with our respective girlfriends and we were both like bartending. And so we were both like living like vampires and hadn't seen the sun in months. <laughs> and sure. I think we were in Milwaukee and it was raining and we were just like, if we're going to go on tour, we can get bartending jobs in Seattle or I mean in LA, you know, at least when we go home, it'll be sunny and warm. And we we're like, yeah, let's just do it. Like we knew enough people down here that, uh, uh, 
you know, we, we, we had friends down here, the people that we could, you know, hang out with, or, or if we needed to like crash, crash them on, on a, yeah. a floor for a couple nights, it'd be fine. And so we made the decision then to do that. And then, uh, like a month later we were back home and like, you know, working our jobs. And that's when uh, Dale called and asked if we wanted to possibly do that. And that, so that definitely like sealed the deal. Like, sure. That, that yeah, yeah. That, that cemented your, uh, your presence here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And was it a, was it a, a huge, uh, I guess shift for you, you know, coming from a place that you had known for so long and then moving down to LA or was it uh, was it an easy shift? Um, it was an easy move. Like we, 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 um, my friend Kevin, uh, who he actually painted the, for our first album cover and he did the second one too. The second one's like a, a model, mm-hmm. but, uh, Kevin Willis, no relation did, uh, uh, our first two album covers. And he's also a bar owner. So he opened, uh, like a sister bar of a bar called the Cha Cha Lounge that started in Seattle and then ended up opening a branch down here. Uh, so, we had jobs like immediately, like the night we rolled into town, I think we rolled into town on new year's day, 2006. And I had a shift that night, uh, bartending at the, at the cha-cha lounge. So it was like pretty seamless. And thankfully we have awesome friends and they helped us out. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was pretty massive. I didn't feel right for a couple months because I, I, wake up in the morning, you know, it's February and it's like 72 degrees outside totally sunny and i'm kind of walking around like walking to get coffee or whatever and just like i feel weird I, what is this like, the, like oh i'm 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 happy <laughs> i have vitamin d in my system i like i'm not freezing cold and wet and it's not black outside you know right right uh, so I, I, I love living down here. It's great. It's, it's funny you bring up the cha-cha lounge. Cause that, that was something that, um, you know, I, I know like basically almost every, you know, punk, hardcore rock, indie rock, the, you know, musician within the context of Seattle has worked there and, uh, you know, has taken a real sense of pride in working at that bar. Cause I, I mean, I think from what I understand too, it's like, there's a lot of, uh, you know, like people cover their, cover a ton of each other's shifts and like, you know, the, the employees kind of make the schedules and stuff like that. Am I correct about that or no? Yeah, pretty much the, the owners, uh, Jeff and Wade are, you know, the patron saints of, you know, like the Seattle music scene pretty much during that time period. Cause yeah, everybody would work there. Everybody was in different bands. So they were really forgiving about, you know, being gone for weeks at a time. If you can get your shifts covered, you're, you're good to go. Yeah. And, uh, I I think it just kind of like added to whatever the cachet of the, the bar that, you know, you could go there and maybe, you know, John Atkins would be uh, bartending your bartender. The guy from Cobra High would be, you know, cocktailing. You know, it, it was it was a really fun place to work. Everybody was super cool, and uh, it, those guys really like. You couldn't have a cooler, you know, boss than that. It was basically it was like, okay, don't burn the place down. Was was the rule, right. and everything else was, you know, wild west. Yeah, well, it's it's just cool because it really, the, the, all the descriptions I've ever heard about it, it just really reminds me of like this, you know, whatever this like, you know, vegan food co op where it's like, you know, ten people working there and being like, all right, we take pride in this place, so it's like, you know, everybody show up for their shifts and don't mess up and do this and like, yeah, then we'll all have jobs and we can all, you know, tour when we need to and that sort of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, Cody, thank you for hanging out, dude. It's been uh, it's been enjoyable for me, and I hope it hasn't been painful for you. Not at all, right? Thanks. Man. <laughs> no problem, dude. <laughs> 
There was Cody. That was great. And thank you to uh, Amen for hopping on at the top of the episode. It was, um, yeah, it was fun. I always like it when I can do these, these double chats, you know, give you more bang for your proverbial buck, so to speak. Anyways, next week is going to be a Ram Arsalian. I, I'm sorry, Aram. I I knew that I was never going to be able to pronounce your name appropriately, but uh, Aram from Champion betrayed a, a. He also did React Records for a long time. Has been a mainstay within the uh, you know Portland Northwest hardcore scene. Uh, is an incredibly successful dude on his own right in regards to he does a lot of uh, you know corporate management consulting work and it's uh, it's really cool because he basically takes all of the principles that he has learned from his uh, punk rock background and uh, applies it to people who have not had the luxury of having that experience. But anyways, it was a gr- great great chat and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. So that's what we got and until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Hey, Miles. Yes. It's Jack from work. Yes. Hi. Did you know that we host a daily news and culture podcast where people can I go to get caught up know. on what is yes. happening? Are you, yes, are you confused about that? You're talking about the Daily Zeitgeist. I just wanted show to that make sure you knew and that everybody knew that you could listen to us every day, twice a day, talk about what is happening, and they could learn everything without feeling the life drained from their soul. Yeah, I think at the Daily Zeitgeist, we like to give people a balance of just enough news that they feel informed and just enough laughs that they're not overwhelmed and can have a decent day after listening. So guys, listen to the Daily Zeitgeist on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free.